May the words of my mouth, meditations of all of our hearts, be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, how are we all doing this uh, bright Sunday morning? Thanks for joining me inside. Uh, I got to open up with a story, which has actually nothing to do with what I'm going to talk about, but I hope it is not a distraction for you. I promise you, if you saw when I was walking in right here, it looks like I have a third eyeball. And I promise you, I do not. Yesterday, I was swimming with my son, Jackson, and we were playing a game at our local neighborhood pool, which had me diving to get things he was throwing down, and I cracked my head on the bottom of the swimming pool. So I open with that story to tell you, I hope this is not a distraction. You may not even see it, and I hope that's the case, but I hope it's not a distraction for you this morning. But here is the illustration I was going to open us up with to take us into the letter from James this morning. Has anyone ever seen the movie Big that was in the late 80s with Tom Hanks? If you've never seen this, a little context about it. Uh, Tom Hanks' character is a young middle school boy, 11, 12 years old, and he goes to the fair, and he has been arguing with his parents, life is just not fair, and he finds this video game that's kind of a, a genie, that if you ask for whatever you want, maybe the genie in this video game will grant you what you want. So Tom Hanks is this middle school boy, uh, he puts in the quarter, and then the machine's not even plugged in. And, he's like, and so he thinks he lost his quarter, and he starts hitting that machine as violently as he can, and then it automatically works. He doesn't find out it's not plugged in till the end, making it a little bit more miraculous. But he makes this wish, the title of the movie, I Wish to Be Big. I am sick of being treated like a child as my parents, and if I'm big, all of my problems will be answered. And what happens, lo and behold, he wakes up the next morning, and he, ha he still has the mind of an 11 or 12-year-old, but he is in the body of a 35, 36-year-old man. And you can, can you imagine how awkward that is per waking up, if you're a middle school student and then you wake up and you're automatically, you have grown in your body what should have taken you 20, 30 years, you just do that overnight. And the rest of the movie, fast forward a little bit, is about him growing into the awkwardness of that moment. And then he realizes, maybe I don't want this. And he, the ultimate end is him going back to that genie machine and say, wishing that everything would go back to the way it was. But there's a scene which is very interesting to me, which I actually thought was a good illustration for what James is trying to tell us this morning. Through all of it, he realizes, and as an adult man, he ha has a little, about $200 to his name that a friend brought him. And after that's gone, he realizes, well, I guess I should do what all adults do and go get an adult job. So he scours through the newspapers and he sees toy company. Oh, 
I go there all the time. I can, that, that's something that I could do. And he's supposed to be working in the mailroom. He gets the job, which is where he starts out. And then people begin, as he still has the mind of a middle school student, he still plays with all kinds of toys, especially those that boys like the most. And as the, the, the people, the, the heads, the brilliant heads of the company get together to talk about what the, the next engineering, the next big toy, and the next big product is going to be, he finds himself sitting with those geniuses of the company. And he brings a new perspective of 11 or a 12-year-old into... So a guy that's used to excellence, used to putting out the new toy. He uh, presents an idea for a new transformer that will change into a robot or, or something like that. I don't remember exactly. And you see he's laying down all the fancy data and the bar graphs trying to convince everyone we need to get the investment to invest and to produce this new toy. And you just see Tom Hanks's character sitting there like, really confused by the bar graphs. Not, it's going over his head what uh, the expert, supposed expert, is saying. And then after the expert is finished with his production and all his colleagues are clapping, saying, yes, this is the next great thing, Tom Hanks's he character raises his hand sheepishly and says, why? I, I, I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> and you see the expert, like, no one's ever questioned me. What's going on? And he brings in this different perspective of saying, why? I still don't get it. And he's like, why would someone my age, he doesn't get to say my age as he's hiding it, but why would an 11 or 12-year-old want to play with this? And we're presented with why, the question of why. We, this is going to take us into James, considering why? The question of why. Where we have been today wraps up a sermon series on our vision. If you've been here the last two weeks, what we have been doing, instead of going through our actual mission statement and each area of that mission statement, we've done that the past two years. This year, we decided to let James, specifically the epistle of James, James inform us on the why we are why, and who we serve and whose we are here at Church of Our Savior. So that's why I bring up the why. With Tom, Tom Cruise, not Cruise, Tom Hanks questioning why in that movie, James answers us today. If you have ever asked the question, why? Why are you a Christian? Why are you here at Church of Our Savior? We look and James helps us inform why of that today. So that's where we will spend the rest of our time in the sermon this morning. There are two sections in the letter to James this morning, one that presents an abstract concept. And then after that, James houses that abstract con concept within the messiness and the greediness of the human experience. We're going to talk about that, and then we're going to talk about how those two things inform the why of our mission statement, why we are a church. So that's where we will spend the rest of our time. What we have in James today is the closing 
of chapter 3 into chapter 4. It's a body of the, the letter that James has written to the people that are leading this new church and back when he actually wrote it in its context. The opening part, the abstract concept that I bring, that James introduces, is the difference, the verses godly truth versus earthly truth. What that is telling them and telling us is that, yes, there is a truth and that truth is not relative. And yet in our world, we continue to grow into a culture that says quite the opposite, that truth is relative per the person. What might be true for someone else might be true for someone else. This is the rapidly growing notion in our day and age. And yet, as we jump back into James, he is warning us of the danger of this. And if I had to boil it down into a simple term of what the five verses in James that we have in chapter three, before we transition into the fourth chapter, it would be this, the very essence of what the difference of godly truth versus earthly truth is. That would be that God is for God. Let me say that again. God is for God. Yes, God loves us. He goes to no end to show us that love and mercy and his grace. But everything that God has done and everything that God continues to do would be that we understand who he is in relationship with him. It's this constant balance that we'll hear more of, of being humble and yet not growing into self-righteousness. This is why God is for God and what the very essence of godly truth versus earthly truth. As we experience more of godly truth, that everything God has done and will do on our behalf as individuals and as the whole church, it is that we would grow in love and affection and worship for his namesake. You see, all the warnings of self, that we don't fall into the trap that God has done everything he has done in his life, his death, and his resurrection, that we don't make God a God of serving us, that we always serve him and grow in relationship with him. This is the abstract concept, which I mentioned that we have taking us into verse four. So we can keep it in that abstract level if we would like, but James brings it home. And as he talks about this Godly righteousness, godly knowledge versus earthly knowledge. And then he houses it right in what we deal with on a daily basis. And it becomes very practical for us as we live this battle day in and day out. We hear in chapter 4, verses 1, the term. Here he is presented godly truth versus earthly truth. And then we get... Have you quarreled? Have you had conflict? And then he talks about, James does, that your passions are at war 
with you. Those that are Christians, and he's writing to Christians, he says, yes, you are presented with this idea of godly truth and what that looks like, and yet you are human. You live in the brokenness of this world, and it can too easily become about you and not about me. Hence the warning of what godly truth versus earthly truth and the battle we fight every day with that really is. You probably, as you arrived this morning, you probably think in your head, my gosh, I had that fight, that quarrel, that wrestle, even this morning, sometime in the last week, as you live this on a day in and day out basis. What are we to do with this concept? James has the answer for us. We try to strive in all of our own power, and we might think it's easy to live into godly knowledge, as most of us have probably been in church, in Bible study, and in community with other Christians for a while. But yet we find ourselves constantly falling back. Just like Paul asking ourselves, why did I do that? Where did that behavior, whatever it was, come from? Enter the why of that we bring up that James answers us with. You all know it and you have heard it for two weeks and you have heard it in the past. On the back of your bulletin is our mission statement. And I know Joe's been having you repeat it, so I'll spare you that this morning. But I'm going to say it again, because this is the answer that James brings to us about how, what we do with this problem of the brokenness of the human experience and trying to live to the lofty goal of living into godly wisdom and action. Our mission statement is Church of Our Savior. We exist to meet people wherever they are on their spiritual journey, to live into a personal and intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. And every area on that map, the discipleship map on the back, is an entry point into that relationship with Jesus Christ, that intimate and personal relationship. That is the mission. And what does James tell us to inform us as we strive to live into that mission? There's probably, you probably enter this morning in one of two places. Either you know by the grace of God that everything you have and everything you do is a gift from God. And because of that, an attitude of worship and gratefulness and gratitude grows from that, and you live your life that way. If you are currently living that way, all praise be to God for that. But if you're like me, and I got to tell you, as I was preparing this homily, a lot of times I can let that I wear a collar and a stole go to my head. With what I will say next, I am first preaching to myself before I preach to you. And I want you to know that. We have that one end of the spectrum. By the grace of God, we know everything is a gift. And we live out of that heart as we walk our Christian lives. But in all reality, this, the brokenness of the human experience that James talks about as we strive 
they then and we now strive to live a life of godly wisdom. We realize a lot of times our behavior, we feel like we make more mistakes as we live into what is supposed to be a past sinful life if we are followers of Christ. But this is the good news that James brings us this morning. Verse 6 in the fourth chapter says it all. He says, as you struggle and realize just how much, how hard it is to live into perfect godly wisdom in a perfect godly life, God lavishes upon us, in James' own word, grace upon grace. More grace, more grace, and more grace. In our instances where we realize just how far we are, how much that we are sinners, grace abounds. And grace is lavished upon us. And from that, we live into, it. right after verse 6, as we hear James bring it home in the section we have today, more grace, more grace, and more grace. Right after that, James says, therefore, submit to that grace. A lot of times we hear the word submit and we think out of begrudgingness, out of it's the rules and I just have to follow it. That's the difference that I mentioned, realizing the gifts of the grace of God versus if we do life as followers of Christ out of just following the rules and how much in our own power we cannot do that. Where we see our shortcomings and realize our own fault and brokenness, God kicks that out with his grace and we are changed. We are renewed and we are transformed through his life, through his death, and through his resurrection. Do you hear the good news in that? What he is saying through us in James this morning. He's telling us that there is no sin, no sin that is larger than his cross and his rising again. That means it's not a yin-yang. It is, if you put it in terms of a race, God and grace pass the finish line and win, and several minutes later, sin crosses the finish line. But God and grace are showered, and they're having the post-game conference triumph. Sin is beaten back by more grace and more grace and more grace, which is what James is telling us this morning. What good news for all of us, that we don't have to simply be a people that follow the rules because that's what we do, but because of God's grace taking root in our heart and in our lives, this is where we know how to submit to God's knowledge. And when we realize and rely upon that grace after grace after grace, that moves in and as we ask the Holy Spirit to take up residence in our heart, little by little, our behavior begins to represent that grace and what it means for all of us. Yes, we'll never reach perfection until we are standing there with God. As we breathe our last 
and move on. We will continually be working out that grace, our own sanctification. But that's the message James has for us this morning. Grace upon grace upon grace. grace, Lavished upon all of us. And we are not supposed to just leave that here. On Sunday morning or in all the other ways you come to church and plug in. We are supposed to take it outside of those gates. Into your families. Into your schools. Into your, your groups of hobbies that you do. Into your workplace. This is the call that James has for us. The difference between godly wisdom and earthly wisdom and how we know that by the grace of God and the battle that we are going to fight. But take heart that when we find ourselves losing, there's nothing that has been lost because grace meets you in the moment. May you know that grace as you grow into it more and more. And all thanks be to God the source of this grace to all of us. Be blessed today because of this grace. Amen.